I'm going to try this. Can you hear me? Not through the. Okay, looks like it's on. Hello? It's just, okay. I won't use this. Um, Good morning. It's great to see everyone this morning, and uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to to, uh, bring God's word this morning, but I'm also excited that I can give Pastor Corey a break, right? Um, Just knowing some of the things, some of the things that he's he's doing, and uh, and how busy he is. you know, I, um, I'm, really, I'm really glad that Pastor Corey is here to lead us and to teach us and, uh, and to guide us, especially while Pastor Rick is on sabbatical. So um, thank you, Pastor Corey, for everything you're doing. I know you're, I know you're really busy. Um, let me just put this aside. Now, I know the pastors, they usually speak from center stage, and I hope it's okay if I speak from the pulpit this morning. Um, as a speaker, I usually like to have my notes uh, in front of me. Uh, that, that helps me. If I, if I walk the stage, if I roam around like the experts do, I, I, would, I would get lost. <laughs> um, it'd be like a, a senior moment, right, where you get up and you go from one room to another, and then for the life of you, you can't remember why you got up in the first place. It would, it would kind of be like that. I, would, I think I would lose my place. Um, in addition, my wife gave me a list of like 34 things I'm supposed to remember not to do. <laughs> you know, those things you, do when, you don't do when you speak. Don't, try not to say um too much. Uh, let's see, number three, don't do crazy things with your hands. Um, and number seven, don't make those strange clicking sounds with your tongue. Like, like, like. <laughs> um, so if you see me staring down at my notes, okay, it's, it's probably not because I'm concerned about my message. <laughs> um, I'm excited to, to, to speak on this song of ascent, and uh, I'd like to open us in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. I pray that your words would come through that it would be your thoughts, and we would be overwhelmed by your presence this morning. Open our hearts up to you. Help us to look for you. Help us to listen for you. And help us to obey you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we're continuing on in the Songs of Ascent. Uh, This is the sermon series that Pastor Corey started um, a month and a half ago, we started, I think, in Psalm 121. And these were songs sung by the Israelites as an act of worship and unity. But they also communicated truths about God's character and about how to live their lives as God's chosen people. The, these songs of ascent, they, uh, all of them, they kind of remind me of uh, Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, where just before the Israelites entered the promised land, Moses told them, 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. See, these songs of ascent, these are things of God that were to be talked about, they were to be agreed to, and they were to be handed down from generation to generation. And that's, I think that's what we try to do here at church each week. Right? We seek the Lord. We try to understand what his commands are, what his will is for us. Together we talk about how our lives should change or be different. And then we go out and try and do it. So let's look at Psalm 127. Psalm 127 this morning, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. So Psalm 127, it's an, it's an interesting song of ascent. Uh, I think it's a little bit different. If you look, at back, look back at the other ones, it's a little different than those that we've covered. The others, they talk about Israel's broader history where they came from, their faithfulness, their lack of faithfulness. It talks about the people's hearts. It talks about prayers to the Lord, these other songs of ascent that we covered in the past month. This one is different. This one really just makes statements. It makes declarations, if you will. When we look at the chapter, you'll see It offers no specific solutions, but it just speaks truth about everyday life. Truth about everyday life. And there are three things I want to draw from the passage this morning. And the first is that God works. Okay, God works. Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. A little background on Psalm 127 is that Solomon, King Solomon, right? Maybe if you look in your Bible, you'll see it says that um, it's a song of ascent from Solomon. We know Solomon from 1 and 2 Kings. We know him from Ecclesiastes. He's the one attributed with writing this this song of ascent. I think it's not surprising if you know Solomon when you look at the words he uses here. You see the word vain. Vain is used repeatedly here. Now we know Solomon as the richest, wisest person in human history. But what you may not know is that Solomon was also a master builder and planner. He used his wealth and his power and his influence 
to build, right, to grow his empire. He's famous for the things he built. He built houses, temples, gardens. He constructed whole cities. So it's interesting here that in Psalm 127, Solomon, the master builder, says that unless the Lord is the one who does the building, it's all in vain. Reading from the the Message Bible translation, the second part of the verse says, if God doesn't guard the city, the, the night watchman might as well take a nap. Right? They might as well take a nap. I thought this was kind of funny given Pastor Corey's story. Corey's story. Pastor Corey's story a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, he talked about how he used to be a, a, a night security guard. <laughs> and how Paul Blart, Paul Blart, I think, was his idol. Right? Did I get that right? He, the resemblance is uncanny. <laughs> um, Right? But it's the same here. It's the same theme. That unless the Lord is watching over the city, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the guards do. So let me ask this question. In this verse, who is ultimately responsible for getting the job done? Right? Who's the onus on? The onus is on the Lord. Right? God is responsible for making it happen. Unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord watches over the city, nothing we do matters. It's not about us. This verse is not about us. It's about him. The premise of the psalm is that God works. He builds. He guards. It confirms what we've learned from some of the other psalms, that he's our provider, our protector. He's our security guard. Now, this, this, this fact that God works um, may be a new thought to you. But you can see this throughout Scripture. And some of, for some of you, it's, it's not a new thought. You, you, know, you understand this. Uh, one example is in the account of creation. Note the use of the word work in Genesis 2, 2 and 3. It says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had done or he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. See, God works, right? He even needed to rest because he had worked for seven days. God not only works in creation, but he works in in redemption. He works in carrying out his plan of salvation and in his sanctification of the believer. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. In all these things, God is actually at work. He is doing stuff. In his book, A Long Obedience, in the same direction, Eugene Peterson says, and I thought this, this quote is, is good. It's, it says, The main difference between Christians and others is that we take God seriously and others do not. 
We really do believe that he is the central reality of all existence. We really do pay attention to what he is and what he does. We really do order our lives in response to that reality and not to some other. Paying attention to God involves a realization that he works. Now, that's a great thing. That's a great thing. God works. He's a working God. He works for his glory. He works for the building of his kingdom. And he works for his people. Now, I, should, I need to say this. Don't, I don't want to give the wrong impression. The Bible isn't saying because God works and because what we do is dependent on God working, okay, that we don't need to work. The scripture says that builders should still build. Guards should still stand watched on watch. Whatever it is that the Lord has given you to do, your job, your studies, your family responsibilities, you should work hard at it. You should do it faithfully. That's godly. But what would be even more pleasing to God is that we commit those responsibilities to him and we make him the center, the foundation for those things and for all that we do. And that's what scripture is saying. Isaiah 31.1, I'm throwing a lot of verses at you. I hope they, they're meaningful. It says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in the multitude of their chariots and in the great strength of their horsemen. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or seek help from the Lord. Right? When you think about it, how often do we rely <clears throat> on our own resources, our own worldly resources? How often do we rely on just our, ourselves, our own skills and experience? Skills and experience, by the way, that God has given you. How do you know, how, how often we just trust in these things to get the job done and not turn to the Lord. Uh, a real small example, I did it, huh? Uh, a real small example of this happened to me this week. And this is a, a, pretty, this is a pretty lame example, but I, I thought it would be good for me to share it. I was at the library working on the message this week, and I was working on an old laptop and, 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 you know, you're just typing away, just typing your thoughts, trying to organize your notes. I think I shared this with Tim Kubo that um, the, the laptop started, it started going crazy, started wigging out, right? The cursor started scrolling up the screen and started scrolling up my document like I wasn't touching it. And I just scroll up the document to the top and then the cursor would just disappear, and I couldn't get it back, so I was, I was kind of stuck. I couldn't save. I couldn't, um, I couldn't even close the document. So I put it in sleep mode, you know, just close the cover. And I came back to it a few hours later, hoping, just hoping that it would be different, hoping that, I don't know, something would have been cleared up. But it was the same, right? No change. Not until I had thought about this point that I'm making, and I thought that God works, and the success of everything really is in the hands of the Lord. Did I, I pray 
And I specifically asked God to help me recover my work. <laughs> um, and I kid you not, within a minute, a um, couple of clicks, I, I don't even know what I did. Right? Everything came back. The screen unfroze. The cursor was there, blinking. I could move it around. I could save the document. Um, and, you know, and my work was recovered. And I'm learning, it's just a, a small example, but I'm learning that God works. Amen. I didn't know, I didn't know he does technical support, <laughs> but he works, and he ultimately is the one who determines success. Right? And that's what I think the verse is saying. If the, unless the Lord builds the house, right, it's in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, it's in vain. So God works. The second point is that God provides. Verse 2 says, In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Again, another vain statement. Vain this, vain that. Essentially what Solomon is saying is, You people, he's talking to the Israelites, (laughs) You people, you work too hard, you work too long, just for a little more to eat. But it's all in vain. If I paraphrase this verse in line with verse 1 that we just covered, I would say, unless the Lord provides what you need, your toiling, your striving, your exhaustion is in vain. Now, Scripture condemning rising early and working hard, absolutely not. That's not what it's saying. But it is saying, and this is important, it's saying if you don't recognize that the Lord is the one who provides these things, then you'll be spinning your wheels in this rat race, right, your whole life long. You will just be working yourself to the bone, and it'll have no end. Here are some things that reflect the work environment that we live in in our culture. In the U.S., 20% of working adults work over 50 hours a week. Workaholism affects approximately 30% of the working population. So workaholism, where you feel compelled to keep on working, where you can't really control it. Over 10 million Americans work more than 60 hours a week. And in Japan, in Japan, they've coined a term. So those first statistics were U.S.-based. In Japan, though, they've coined a term. I don't know if you've heard this term, karoshi. Karoshi, K-A-R-O-S-H-I. Karoshi, which means death by overwork. This, this term was invented to refer to an increasing number of young, otherwise healthy people suffering from fatal strokes and heart attacks attributed to overwork. So they actually have a term to describe this problem. And I'm sure if we were to recognize it here, probably be a term developed for overwork and the stress and and the issues that it causes 
the felt need to work as much as people do in our society, either to make ends meet or to have a little more or to have a lot more, right, is, is strong. We see it all around us, and it skews our perspective on what's really important. Self-sufficiency was never God's plan for us. Hear Jesus' words in Matthew 6, verses 25 and 26, and then 31 through 33. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. God, and only God, provides what we need. Amen? He's the only one. The last part of the verse says that he grants sleep to those he loves. See, part of God's provision to us, God provides, is to give us rest. It is not God's will for us to be constantly pushing ourselves and not getting good rest. I was going to, originally, I was going to show a video. I saw this video on the internet about the effects of sleep deprivation. And it's fascinating how lack of sleep affects the different parts of our brain. You know, not just one part, but every part, right? The different parts of our brain, those parts, they control things such as judgment, decision-making, memory, speech, our emotions, even our diet. Right? I, and I, you know, I sat back and realized, well, I don't have time for a video. <laughs> um, but I don't think we need a video to understand that when we're not well rested, we're not operating at our best. Not at work, not at church, not in relationship to one another. And especially not if you work as a night security guard. (laughs) If we're not well rested, we are underperforming. We are less than effective as we can be. Studies tell us that 30% of adults and 66% of adolescents are sleep deprived, making this a public health epidemic. And those numbers, I don't know, I would say they're probably low understated. In fact, how many of you are sleepy right now? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, For some of us, developing good sleep habits is the best thing you can do for your decision-making, for your relationships, for your spiritual life. God in his love wants to give you rest. Just like a parent who knows how important sleep is to a child's health and well-being. He wants us to rest comfortably at night knowing that he will provide what we need. So God 
God works, excuse me, God works, God provides, God blesses. God provides many blessings. That's not new. We should be able to spout off blessing after blessing if we're asked. We can see throughout Scripture the blessings that God provides. I think Pastor Corey spoke of some of those earlier in the service, right, because we sang that song, Blessed Be the Lord, and how he gives and also takes away for our blessing. But Psalm 127, these, these last few verses, they speak to the very spe- specific blessing of having children. Now, I recognize that not everyone, not everyone here has or will have the blessing of having offspring or raising children. I'm sensitive to the, to the fact that this point may only personally apply right, to some here. And that this may even be a a point of sadness or regret for some. But I hope as we just as we look at the passage together, we can we can see that the Lord is speaking about everyday life. And that children and family were a central part of life. Especially back in this time, a central part of, of Jewish and Israelite life. Much, I think even much more than in our society today. In our society today, we have, in our postmodern society, right, kind of shunned, I think, traditional thought, traditional values, and we have become more self-focused, more independent from one another, right, more focused on material things, less connected to the community as a whole. So here, just... You know, take it in context and understand how important children, family, how central it was to the Jewish culture. Verses 3 and 4 say, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. The role of children has always been central to the story of mankind. Right? From the very beginning, when God said to Adam and Eve, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. God had children in mind. Procreation is God's divine way of filling the earth and bringing glory to his name. However, living as we do today in times of like overpopulation, family planning, we don't appreciate the difficulties of ancient life when disease, war, famine were rampant and the mortality rate was high and families weren't sure that their name would be carried on or that they would have descendants to take over their their property. So when God provided offspring, what a blessing. What a blessing that was to families Another translation of this verse says that children are God's best gift. Children are God's best gift. For me and my wife, God has been gracious. God has given us three kids of our own. Colson, 13, Avery, 9, and Ellie, 6. 
That was their ages, right? Not their middle names. Um, and that's, that's a picture of us or them when we went to um, Legoland earlier this year. And I could go on and on while Colson cringes. <laughs> I go on and on about how God has blessed us and how God has enriched our lives through them and the joy that they bring to our home. I could also talk, though, about the struggles and, and, the, and the failures right, that we've had. Failures as parents, problems, issues, struggles as a family. Things don't always go right. That's, that's for sure. And I know that you see the ages of our, see how, how young our kids are, that we're only like in the fifth inning, right, of this ball game. <clears throat> and many of you have played out the game. Many of you have watched your kids grow into adulthood. And I know for some, it's not been easy. And that's an understatement. It's been painful at times. And for some families, then and still now, there's serious heartache. My prayer is that the Lord will intervene, that we will look to the Lord, and the Lord will step in. And he will help your relationships. He will help the situation. Um, But part of the reason I think God says here that children are his best gift is because the parent-child relationship is supposed to mirror our relationship with the Lord. As parents, we learn what it means to be a provider, a protector, a teacher. We learn what it means to sacrifice. We so much want the best, right, for our kids. That helps us better understand God's love for us and God's willingness to sacrifice for us. Now, as as sinful people, we mar that relationship with the Lord. Right? We mess it up. It's not easy being our father. Think of the prodigal son. We screw things up. But he wants us to come to him. He wants us to put our trust in him. We want to bless our children, don't we? Yes, God does too. See, Psalm 127 is about everyday life. It's about work. It's about rest. It's about trying to get by. It's about family, raising kids. Just like the Israelites, the truths and principles here are to be etched in our hearts, practiced in our homes. Amen. Scripture says that you can trust him for your daily needs, but he must be the foundation for what you do. As Christians, we build our lives on the faithfulness and the trustworthiness of our Lord. We take his word to heart. We take his promises to heart. Now, this is, this is countercultural stuff. The world won't tell you to work less, sleep more, right? The world won't even often say that children are a gift from God. We have to decide how we're going to live. 
So as we leave today, and as we go back to our, you know, our daily lives, um, let's remember, God works, God provides, and God blesses. Let's pray. Father, we come humbly before you, knowing that um, we know that we are in, very, in control of very little in our lives. We don't know what will happen tomorrow. It's hard to explain what happened yesterday. We trust in you, Lord. We look to you. We ask that you would um, put these words into our heart. Help us to treasure them to hold strongly to them, and to choose to live, Lord, in, um, in relationship with you, and to depend on you, and to know that you are good. We thank you for your love, for your forgiveness, and for your provision. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.